Hello and welcome to the history of video games. My name is Ben and I'm joined by the one and only Wes. How you doing, Wes? What's up? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm just feeling in a good mood because we've got a special episode for everybody today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's incredible. This is our 100th episode recorded. That's uh, probably over 100 hours of content. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I don't know. I don't think we have a single episode under an hour. That's a good point. Yeah. So we got a lot for you guys to listen to if you haven't caught up on them already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not like we've got commercials, so definitely all very true, all very true. <laughs> but yeah, it's super exciting, and we're going to talk a little bit about our special topic in a bit. But why don't we start off things like we always do, keep the tradition going for our hundredth episode? And Ben, why don't you talk about what you've been playing recently? Okay, okay, yeah, I've got a couple things I want to talk to you about, Wes. Let's start out with Wizard One Hundred and One, the MMO I mentioned last time, because. Even though I pretty much completed the free-to-play section of the game last weekend, I uh, stuck through and I've been doing these like high school-level trivia quizzes <laughs> right? ten of them a day right. <laughs> to get premium coins to unlock a new zone. And you know, with the original part of the game, there was only two combat zones that you got for free, and it was like I don't know maybe a little under ten hours of content. So I was kind of hoping the new zone would give me. I don't know, three to five hours of content. I wasn't expecting like a whole lot, but you know, a little bit. And um, I did all the trivia quizzes, unlocked the new zone, and in two hours had completed all the content that was there. <laughs> oh no. So uh, was not the most satisfying purchase of my life. <laughs> but um, I don't know, despite it, I mean, it was still fun to play through. And I think I'm going to try to do maybe one more zone because there's like a background story part of the game where the story's like, hey, these three places are under attack. Go figure it out. And one of them you got for free. The second I just bought. So if I get the third one, it'll kind of, you know, close up that chapter of the story, I'm right. thinking. And maybe that'll have something <laughs> nice, like in addition to just the zone. So I don't know. but um. It was a bit of a disappointment, we'll say. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Well, hopefully grinding for this third part will at least give you some closure where you can be like, all right, I'm done with this game. <laughs> right. Be like, okay, I've I've seen what the end of the story of this part is. I'm good, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, but you never know. I, I'm not really sure what to expect. I'm kind of hoping maybe at the end of the story, it introduces me to like a portal room or something where I have like 10 different zones I can choose from. Because right now it's either this, like the zone in question, or I think I can unlock one like level 20 zone. I'm like level 12. So, but I don't think I have any other options right now. Hmm. So it'd be nice to get some more options maybe, but we'll see. I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing that. Been playing Final Fantasy, but I don't have too much to say about it. Uh, just been grinding. Right. I did uh, buy a new Rocksmith DLC. I think I told you this before, but not on the podcast. I bought the Bon Jovi pack because it was oh, half yeah, off. yeah, yeah. And um, because I bought five new songs that were in that pack, I kind of wanted to remove songs from the, the playlist, you know, so I didn't have a larger amount of songs than usual. So I got 100% on four songs this weekend. Can you believe it? 
That's crazy. You really uh, grinded yeah. those out. Yeah. And um, three of them were today, actually. <laughs> the one was yesterday. And I was looking to maybe like try to go for that fifth one. But all the ones I really thought were close were like the ones I did. And I think it'll be a little bit of work to get the next couple done. So, right. But still, you know, I'm still really enjoying Rocksmith a lot. And the amount of DLC, both, you know, free that I can get online and also that they sell. I'm pretty happy about it. So, yeah, I've been kind of splitting my time this week, playing a lot, doing a lot of grinding of um, (laughs) dailies and weird trivia quizzes about like the state <laughs> birds of the u.s and stuff right um but that's what you got to do i guess <laughs> i guess yeah <laughs> well that's nice i'm glad you have a couple different things so you can switch off and uh mm-hmm. it's always it doesn't happen to me often i usually switch games all the time but it's always nice to have something that's like a long running interest that you keep playing like uh rocksmith and final fantasy yeah I think I said this before, but with like Rocksmith, I almost feel like I can't stop now because I'm seeing progress on my guitar skills. So I don't, you know, I don't want to lose that. Right. Just as much a practice tool. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's hard because I think if a normal person that didn't have a lot of music experience played Rocksmith, they wouldn't really get a lot out of it because it really is more of a practice tool than anything. It's not really like a game. It's like, a way to practice and for me who plays five instruments three of them are self-taught and i've had lessons for years and years and years it's like i know how to practice instruments so i can really use rocksmith to the best of its ability and partly i think that's why they built rocksmith like in the marketing stuff it feels like they're kind of going for that market not so much people that have never played guitar before i think that's a little ridiculous Right. To say that this will be helpful. But if you're a musician already, it's super nice. So um, it's been really working well for me. Very cool. Yeah. But what have you been up to, Wes? Hopefully playing some more Final Fantasy as well. Well, you know, you guessed it. Um, I have been <laughs> just hardcore binging Final Fantasy. Doing my best to not rush through the story because it is so worth going through at a like nice pace and enjoying because the story is getting really good but i also do want to rush a tiny bit because i have access to the second third and upcoming fourth expansion so Mm -hmm. i really want to get done the sec or the first expansion so i can actually access that content when it releases in two weeks so the fourth or not the fourth no way but the second yeah so the pre-order that I did, if you pre-order Endwalker, which is the newest expansion, I think the fourth, you get access to the previous two expansions, Stormblood and Shadowbringers. Because right now with the free trial, you get the first expansion in the base game, and there's also a package that you can buy that gives you the base game and first expansion. So, So you don't actually have access to the second yet? No, and I won't until... The Got newest it. expansion releases, but that's in two weeks. So Got it. Because um, there's, I mean, probably literally 100 hours of content in the next two expansions, I'm sure. So there's no way I'm getting through that. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a while before I get to the expansion I actually pre-ordered, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. But so right now I'm actually in Heavensward, the first expansion of the game. Finally mm-hmm. made it through the 
post Realm Reborn, which is the base game, the post base game content, uh, which isn't to say that wasn't very enjoyable. It was, but it feels so good to be in this new expansion and have a bunch of new areas to explore. Tons of stuff I won't say because I know you're going to be there soon, Ben, and I don't want to spoil it for you. But one thing I wanted to get your opinion on is they switch up how you unlock faster mount speed and flying on a mount in areas. So in the base game, it was just sort of you get, uh, I think for mount speed, it's you do a certain amount of quests in a specific zone and then you get faster speed there. And then flying, it's just when you reach a certain level, you get flying in the whole, all the places. Or after you finish a certain part of the main story quest, I think. Mm -hmm. But in this one, in Heavensward, and I believe through all the expansions going forward, they sort of give you these things that you have to find to unlock the capability to fly in each area, and it follows the main story. So at first, I didn't like it because I was moving so slowly through everything, and I felt like I was really restricted in the way I was going. But I mean, I realized the game design behind it, which was actually really working for me, which is that they made this, you know, handcrafted environment. And they really want to tailor like first two or three hours in that environment. So you see the sites they want you to see, and then you'll unlock flying and you can kind of go about it your own way. So at first it seemed cumbersome, but I really like it now. I'm curious what you think about that, Ben. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of MMOs kind of struggle with the flying thing. For me, I totally don't mind not having flying, especially the first time you get to zones. I think the real issue is like, like in WoW, you have to like buy it or go through some like daily rep, you know, lock barrier or like it just doesn't come for like a couple weeks after the expansion or whatever. Like to me, that's like unacceptable. But in Realm Reborn, the base game, you got it at the end of the story. I was totally cool with that. You know, sure, I missed it a little bit as we were getting led up to that but it really wasn't a big deal i thought that was totally fine to me i'm i'm a little bit more not so fussy about it i guess because i don't know i like kind of just walking between the zones sometimes it's relaxing for me definitely yeah to get to take in all the environments i do like in this though that they change it so that you unlock flying by zone so you kind Mm -hmm. of have like these little benchmarks of achievement where it's like oh this is the zone i started in now i can fly around and explore stuff that i never got to see before Mm -hmm. and it seems like i mean the maps were always really good the zones are great in the base game but i feel like there's a lot more verticality in this one and a lot more stuff that makes you say like oh i can't get there unless i can fly i should check that out later oh okay Um, interesting at least it looks harder to get to like I, there was a couple of things that I just couldn't figure out how to get there without flying. And then I finally got to check them out. So it's, it's great. I mean, Final Fantasy is one of those games where they do a great job of, there's always little corners, little pockets of all the, even the early zones where there's like level 40, 50 creatures there and like in the very yes. first zones of the game and you go back later and you explore them. And I really love how they do that. Yes. They definitely have a, do a great job of making it so you, this isn't just the level one to 10 area that you will never see again. Yeah. I'm constantly back in the starter areas and it doesn't feel tedious. It feels like nice. It's kind of like, Oh nice. It's good to be back here. And now I get to do like stuff. That's my level still. 
So mm-hmm. yeah, I totally agree. But that was the main thing I wanted to talk about. I'm sure I'll have more Heavensward stuff to talk about later, but it is really good so far. I'm loving it. Very good. All right, you want to get everybody um, up to date on what we're doing for the special topic? Absolutely. So today, as we mentioned, it is our 100th episode. And, you know, for 100 episodes, we've been talking about the history of video games, but we thought maybe it was time to talk about our personal history of video games uh, and give you a look at the first game that we ever played. Or since me and Ben both had trouble remembering exactly what that game was, the first couple games and probably the first game that we played. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So do you want to get us started, Ben? Yeah. You know, by the way, this kind of reminds me of, I think, the very first episode we ever did, we talked about our gaming history, but not like the early, early. So yeah, I'm glad yeah. we're doing it again. Oh, yeah. We're, we're so passionate about it. And that's why we love taking a look at the gaming history, because we've been, both of us, I think, gaming for most of our lives. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So it is hard to, to talk about what the very first game is, because the very first games are games I played by chance, like I was at somebody's house. Or, um, you know, I was introduced to certain games for like a small moment of time. But the first time I really like could play a game beginning to end, you know what I mean? That to me, that's like maybe what I would consider my first game. And on one hand, I think it could be Pokemon Gold because I distinctly remember Pokemon Gold. I remember having a Game Boy. I don't even think it was maybe, was it the color version? I don't even remember. But um, I think. Pokemon Gold is definitely up there as maybe being the oldest, but the one I wanted to talk about is at some of my earliest memories ever are of the GameCube that uh, my family owned. I think it was our first console. We might have had an SNES, but I don't remember playing any games on it, mm-hmm. um, really. They were probably all way too hard for me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I played GameCube, and there was one game in particular I remember distinctly playing and it being like the first time in my life where i was like i could have gone out and played you know football with friends or or i think we back then my friends played uh street hockey mm-hmm. and i was like no i'm gonna cut, stay home and play this video game <laughs> instead. um and that game was harvest moon which i think i've talked about before oh, specifically okay. i think on the gamecube it was harvest moon new horizons and just to relive it for a little bit i um I was able to play it again today just for a little while. I played it, went through the tutorial, played for probably 10 or 15 minutes, and then the game crashed. So, oh no, <laughs> uh, which I don't remember if that happened on the original GameCube or not. But anyway, it's it's surprising how similar it is to like Stardew Valley. <laughs> it's like <laughs> almost exactly the same. I mean, your farmer is in 3D, so uh, not exactly like Stardew Valley, but you're a farmer you you've got animals to tend to you've got crops to you know you first you have to hoe the land then you have to plant the seed then you get to water the seed there's no real tutorial in the game it kind of just starts you off and there's like some texts that are hints or uh they say they're guides but i don't know it's pretty light on the instruction but i kind of re- like knew how to do stuff just because i had played stardew valley so much <laughs> um but I distinctly remember playing this game and I remembered some of the characters. Like, I think there's a whole kind of archaeology side to the game. You okay. Can get married in the game. 
which I remember doing. Um, I remember growing big pumpkins and selling them to this one lady. And I told <laughs> when I saw her in the game, I was like, I totally remember you. <laughs> um, I remember, I mean, when I was playing it just earlier today, it is a slow game. One thing that was kind of confusing to me at the beginning is when you walk into a door, it doesn't just open. <laughs> you have to press a button to open all the doors. I don't know, just a small thing, but it kind of reminded me of like the older days. Right, when yeah. It just, it, everything was a little bit harder. <laughs> and the inventory system was terrible. But I, I remember playing the game for probably like a week, and I spent all that time just trying to get money. At the end of it, I bought like a second cow, and I felt like so proud of myself. <laughs> I was like, you did it, Ben. You yeah, played yeah. it. <laughs> but it's a phenomenal game. It's, it's a very calm not a lot's going on kind of game but i really got into it when i was younger so i think that's my first one i really kind of got into there were a bunch of others on the gamecube but i think they came after stuff like um like nba street and uh nfl street oh of course yeah. playing on the gamecube so good games so good some uh lord of the rings games played on there and i also remember um playing these plug and play games they were like legit plug and plays. <laughs> like they say plug and play on the packaging. I found one called Namco Arcade Classics, which I'm almost positive we had. And I uh, had Pac-Man, Galaxian, Big Doug, Rally X on it. So I'm almost positive we had that, but it says that that one didn't come out to 2003. So I'm, I'm not sure when all the dates here aligned, but even if I remember playing this plug and play games, I don't think I played them to the same extent as I did Harvest Moon. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was like your first uh, first one that you really dedicated and spent time doing. And I'm sure yeah. if you got a chance to play it again, you would find out that like it would take you like three hours to get a cow now. I feel like probably all of my memories with like early game history. I'm like, oh, my God, it took me so long to do this. And then I went back and did it as an adult. And I'm like, oh, that wasn't that bad. <laughs> Well, it kind of reminds me, one game I do remember really young, you're just making me think of it now, I uh, played Demon Souls, like, right when it came out. Did you really? For, oh my like, god. Like, Xbox. And, um, I played it for a couple hours, and I got completely lost, and pretty much gave up on the game. Uh, yeah. I never played it again. <laughs> I think at the time, I just thought it was a really bad game. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. you know, looking back, I'm sure it was a great game. I just had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but uh yeah, you're definitely not as good when you're younger. <laughs> For sure. I mean, I still could probably barely figure out Demon Souls. It's a <laughs> good game, but a very confusing game to start on as a kid. <laughs> I remember um I must have been old enough where I had my usual strategy of like I like to map stuff out and go to the corners of the zones and make sure there's nothing there before moving on i'm thinking at one point i played diablo 2 and i probably kind of learned that with diablo 2 and titan titan, titan quest. quest yeah yeah that i kind of did that at i'm sure i tried to do the same thing with demon souls but isn't with demon souls like there are some paths you just can't go down till you're like later right yeah <laughs> but, i mean like they're... you can see those paths yeah they'll do a lot of things with like early challenges that like you can do them if you're really, really good, but they just kind of give you like better rewards. So there's optional stuff. Yeah. I remember trying to go down one path and it was just impossible. Like there's nothing I could have done <laughs> to go down. 
and there I don't know if there's anything even down there, but I remember playing it and trying to map it out and I actually like legit got lost, which never happened to me, like usually. But there was something about how that game was structured. It felt like a maze and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, I remember. Yeah. But uh it'll be interesting if I go back to it now, what it's actually like. That's just how I remember it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How your younger brain tried to piece things together. <laughs> but what about you, Wes? What have you started playing? I'm curious. I think it's probably going to be SNES, but I could be wrong. No. So I actually, similar to you, I think the first console I really played on was a N64. And we had an SNES, but I didn't really like play games on it until I was older. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, I think PC was where pretty sure i got my start that and and game boy color uh because one of the first games i remember playing was checks quest uh (laughs) i don't know do you know that game ben i've heard about it i don't remember by the way can i say real quick sure i should have started with this my first ever game experience 100 percent was some sort of educational based computer game and i would love to go back and play it again but i've looked for it since then and i i don't remember what it was called at all i have a very similar one which i know is called math blasters (laughs) okay which is a great game because you're shooting lasers at ufos while doing math uh so that mine definitely had like frogs in it i distinctly remember frogs in it (laughs) but i don't remember what it was i don't know if i can help you there (laughs) (laughs) all good um but checks quest is a promotional campaign for checks cereal they gave okay. out this CD in Czech Serial, and the whole game is just a non-violent version of 1993 Doom. The game is literally the same gameplay. They even have the same guns, except everything is made to be non-violent. So like your pistol is like a single-shot Zorcher, and the chain gun is this multi-shot Zorcher. And I just, I was only three when it came out, so there's like no way I played it when it came out. But I must have played it later on the computer, and I feel like it's one of the first things I played. It's the parody theming that they do that just changes Doom into serial themed is <laughs> so good. I went back and played it today. There's online emulators for it. It's super easy to get your hands on. And it's just still so fun. I mean, it plays exactly like Doom, except it's kind of shorter and easier, which is nice for a kid as well. There's this like 3D cutscene at the beginning, which is just so over the top and ridiculous. It explains like, we can't kill these aliens that took over our planet, but we can teleport them back to their world with these guns. So that's how it's nonviolent. You know, you're not killing any of these monstrous aliens. You're just teleporting them. Right. The aliens in question are these giant globs of green goo called phlemoids, which they just have iconic noises that they make whenever they get like hit and whenever you finally kill them. As soon as I started playing it, it just brought me right back. Um, But it's just all the tiny things they do that when later in life I played the original Doom and I'm like, oh, they changed the chainsaw to a spoon and stuff like that. It just cracks me up. It's so good. Health packs uh, changed into vegetables and fruit uh, and also like the single health things that are in the game instead of potions turned into water because you're washing the goo off you. Mm -hmm. One of the famous things in the original Doom is that as your health got really low, the little picture of the Doom guy in the center of the screen would get like bloodier and more beat up. 
in this one, you still have the picture of your guy, which is just a giant piece of Czech cereal with eyes. But he gets, instead of getting bloodier, he gets covered more and more with green slime. And uh-huh. it's just so good. It's so strange. You have to play it. And it's probably nowhere near as good if you didn't play it when you were a kid. But I just love it. And going back, playing it again confirmed how much I love it. <laughs> nice. But other than that, I, since I can't remember exactly what was first, I think Pokemon Yellow on the Game Boy Color was probably another one of the first ones. And then I watched a lot of my older brother playing games, uh, especially Zelda Ocarina of Time and uh, Mario 64 on the N64. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's what got it all started. It started with a promotional campaign by Czech Serial. <laughs> that's awesome. Back when those were, uh, they made good games. Yeah. Hey man, let's play Pepsi Man sometime. Oh yeah, we gotta I'm play Pepsi Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And it's such a cool uh a Doom style game, even in like in any theme, just cool game. You know? It is, yeah. Yeah, it made me I mean, we gotta wait till ninety three, but it made me so excited for when we get to play the original Doom on the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'll be cool. Well sad to see if there's anything close to it that comes up before. Definitely. Absolutely. But with that, I guess we can move on because we have got a pretty packed episode today for our 100th episode. Lots of games to talk about. So let's move right on to our timeline. everybody welcome back from that brief little break let's get straight into our 100th episode because we've got 100 games to talk about not really uh, <laughs> it's we got a lot though and <laughs> we're gonna start things off with some arcade games and the first game today is actually one that i got to review atari baseball by atari coming out in june of 1979 uh, after seeing their basketball game you know i had pretty high hopes for this and I gotta say, it's pretty good. The flyer for this calls it one of Atari's new ultra-realistic games that makes it feel like you are in the game when you're in the stands playing this. Don't know if it can, if I would say it's exactly that, but you know, it's a pretty good baseball game. Uh, another interesting thing, though, is that it's the first arcade game by Ed Rotberg, and it had approximately 1,050 units produced, so it wasn't really a huge seller. But Ed Rotberg is going to be a pretty big name in Atari history because he is going to go on to make both Asteroids and Centipede. So starting off a little small with Atari Baseball, but he's got some good stuff coming. And this game was also originally slated to have the first Atari game to be, or to have a spoken digitized speech in it. They recorded some speech. They had a card that was going to be able to play um, referee calls of somebody saying like your route strike and all that and there's apparently one prototype version that ed rotberg owns but it was never actually put into production so unfortunately it doesn't have a voice uh 
calling out what the the strikes and all that in this. And Ed Rapper also stated in an interview that the whole goal of making Atari baseball was to obviously make a baseball game, but to do it using as much of the tech as possible that was already existed from the Atari football cabinet, uh, which was a tabletop uh, cocktail cabinet that used trackballs and had X's and O's and a scrolling screen. And it's very clear to see some of the similarities because this is a two-player cocktail table cabinet that uses trackballs and one button to control the baseball players, although it doesn't have a scrolling screen. So the gameplay of it, just to break it down, basically it plays nine innings of baseball and it actually has the right number of players on the field, which is great. Uh, the batter can switch hit, full swing, or bunt, and the pitcher has four different pitches they can choose from. So there's a decent bit of options there. It could be one player versus AI or two player, although I'm pretty sure the infielders were always computer controlled, even when it was two player. And you could choose directions uh, for where you're throwing the ball when you're an outfielder, which I think it's got to be the first time we've seen that. Usually it's kind of a auto throw kind of thing if you catch the ball or pick up a grounder when it's out uh, but this you could actually choose who you're throwing to so you can make mistakes which is fun and makes the game more interesting and it actually shows the catcher and the batter on screen uh, we've definitely seen the batter in some games although a lot of times it is just a floating bat but i think this is the first time that we've ever seen the catcher actually animated and on screen or well animated not really but on screen <laughs> there's a sprite there it doesn't really do all that much um and since it does use a lot of the same hardware as atari football you're running the bases you're throwing the ball using this giant trackball which is a little strange and it doesn't look like there was a upright cabinet version of this it looks like it was just the cocktail cabinet which makes sense because the way that they got two player to work for this since I mean, you could put it sideways, but it's kind of hard to have two players across from each other looking at a baseball diamond, is that the player who was batting would be looking right side up at the field. And then when the team switched, the field image would actually flip upside down so that the other player who's batting now is looking at it right side up. And the pitcher is always looking at it sort of from the top down, which sounds sort of confusing, but it ends up not being too too bad because you're pitching anyway and so your outfielders are at the bottom and you kind of get used to it but it definitely is a tiny bit weird <laughs> um but to describe a little bit more about the game i'm just going to get straight into my ratings now for graphics i gave it a 2.25 out of 10 uh to start off it's all in black and white and there was no overlay for this so those are both kind of big negatives for it they were doing the best with what they could and trying to, you know, redesign the football cabinet to sell another product, but it ended up being not looking that great. Uh, the flipping of the screen, again, also is kind of strange, but it is a decent workaround for how to get two players who are standing across from each other to be able to see the baseball diamond. Um, but what it does do really well visually is movement. Uh, there's not really much animation for the sprites. They're just kind of these simple little blobs that definitely look like people. They're not squares, but they're not super detailed. But the movement of the characters and the ball across the screen are all very fluid. 
Uh, it's really satisfying to watch the ball move, especially because when you're throwing from the outfielder to an infielder, say it's like two people on base and somebody catches an out, throws it to third and then throws it to second. And it's super satisfying to watch that just dart between and get like a double play or whatever it is. Um, so that's something visually I think it did really well. The players on base are kind of hard to see, which was a bit of a weird choice because the bases are white and then the sprites are also white. So you kind of just see like the sprites totally overlap, but then you'll see like a head or a leg sticking out. So I wish there was a bit of an outline there to be able to tell them apart. Um, but there's also a really nice scoreboard that's very clear and gives you all the information you need, which I really appreciated because this plays a full-fledged game of baseball. So definitely need all that information of balls, strikes, outs, and nine full innings, uh, which is surprising. I forget if you had to pay extra quarters or not, but uh, nine innings on an arcade cabinet is not something we usually see. Mm -hmm. Moving on to sounds, though, I only gave it a 1.75 out of 10 here. There are really not a ton of sounds going on, unfortunately. Um, they teased us when I was looking up the information and they were talking about that voice recording. That would have bumped this up so many points. But with nothing like that going on, there's just sort of a looping crowd cheering track, which sounds okay, but it's nothing phenomenal. There's some buzzes when you get a strike that sounds sort of like pong noises. And there's some okay noises for catching the ball too, but they're all pretty similar. There's not much going on there. My favorite thing though for the sounds was that hitting the ball, there's actually a couple different sounds, I think different for whether it's a switch hit, a full swing, or a bunt. And some of them actually managed to sound very like wood hitting a ball, which, you know, it's not just a straight beep, but the bunt especially did sound like a piece of wood hitting something. So I was very surprised by that. But even though that's really good, it wasn't really enough to carry the whole game on its own with that good sound. Gameplay, though, I did give it a 3 out of 10 here because it's a full game of baseball and it lets you do everything that you pretty much would want to do. You get a really good amount of control over the game. You still can't steal bases, which kind of stinks, but I mean, you can catch in the outfield and throw it to your infielders to get people out. You can do three different hitting styles. You can do four different pitches. Um... And you can move your outfield around. So there's just a, a lot of stuff that you can do in this that we've seen in other games, but not often all in the same game. Uh, so it was really exciting to be able to do all these things in a baseball game for once. The ability to bunt is really fun too. And even though it doesn't seem like a lot of options, it's a lot more than I think we've seen in baseball games so far. I mean, I was comparing, comparing it to tornado baseball which looked really good and had a lot of cool stuff in it but a lot of it was automatic whereas this you can control a lot of the who's throwing what direction and all that uh, so it really does play pretty smoothly it's just the other aspects of it aren't really super impressive but the gameplay is still strong for relevance i gave it a 6.5 out of 10 Atari Baseball scores relevance for a few different reasons here. Uh, for one thing, it's the first baseball game that I can remember that actually has a catcher. I think that's sort of just always an imaginary catcher on screen. And even though the graphics aren't great, just even having one sprite back there that catches the ball, I feel like 
was a huge way to making it feel like a real baseball game. And the other big reason that I think this is relevant is that it is the first game by Ed Rotberg. Um, of course, it's not going to be nearly as relevant as Centipede or Asteroids. Since we are going to be seeing Ed Rotberg in the future, I felt like it served some points there. And all that put together left me with an overall score of 2.5 out of 10. Atari Baseball does some great new stuff for an arcade baseball genre, but it doesn't really feel like it did enough to make it as exciting as Atari Baseball or uh, Atari Basketball. Something about that gameplay was just like smooth and quick and exciting. This let you do everything, but the graphics and the sound just kind of really held it back. Since they had to switch the screen around, they couldn't logically do an overlay, which I think hurt it a bunch. And I think trackballs really don't make sense for a baseball game where it would be easier just <laughs> to have a joystick to say like straight down to throw the second base instead of having to like roll the ball that direction. So I think it's held back a little bit by the fact they were, you know, basically trying to use the materials they already had to make a new game. But overall, I still think it's probably better than any of the other baseball arcade games we've seen. It's just marginally better. So it's not a um, grand slam, if you'll let me use a pun like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Wes. I had to do it to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was an interesting one, but it wasn't as exciting as i hoped after seeing basketball and being blown away by it mm -hmm. um sorry if you mentioned this but do you actually do the fielding or is it just like when somebody grabs a ball they just throw it by themselves so i was having trouble with the controls in the emulator so i don't 100 percent know for sure but i'm pretty sure you throw to the infield but then okay. they decide what happens next like if it's a if you catch an out and they throw it the second, but then they're trying to throw it the third or something, you might actually control that too, because there were times in videos I was watching where I saw somebody like take a really long time to throw it back to the pitcher just because they weren't paying attention. So it. I'm not sure. Some parts seem like it could have been automatic, um, but you do control a lot of it. Definitely made playing um, outfield seem a lot more fun than it is in a yeah. lot of games. Definitely. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean... I liked some of the new animations and stuff I had, but uh, until we uh, are playing on a green field, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. All right, well, let's move on, because like you mentioned, we're covering a lot of games. So <laughs> let's go through some honorable mentions. We got Triple Attack by Sega Up Next. came out in June of 79. It's a game that has apparently three different Space Invaders variations on it mainly related to the movement of the invaders and how they descend down the screen, but we only have a flyer, so we couldn't play that one. And then another one by Sega also came out in June called Upset Block, and that one's probably a breakout clone. We don't have much info on it. It might have been in color, which if that's just a might, probably not good. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I'll take uh, the, the Space Invaders one over that one any day. <laughs> And next we have Video Gold by United Games. This was a collection of 10 Pong and Breakout games. Seems like it used some sort of uh, gravity for the variations. So who knows if it was really 10 quote unquote different games on that. Uh, and then we also have Dodgem by Zakaria, which seems like a version of Head On, except you're driving boats. Always cool to see. I mean, Head On is still new-ish so i like seeing those mm -hmm. games pop up 
Yeah, definitely. All right, but with that being said, let's move on to some handhelds. Now, usually in the beginning of the year, we have like a dump of first-gen console <laughs> clones, right? And um, this year we have a dump of handhelds for the first time ever. <laughs> it's a giant list that I didn't think was interesting enough to cover, mainly because they're just copies of like the old Mattel games. So we won't go through all of these. We'll we'll put the whole list up on the website, but we'll go through a couple so you get you guys get an idea of who's making what and how many. <laughs> but to start off here, we've got Astro Star from Bandai, Hockey by Bandai, Head to Head Basketball by Coleco, Zodiac by Coleco. There's actually quite a few of these, um, like Zodiac type games where they're just like it's a handheld that somehow is like one of those weird. What's your astrology symbol? Here's oh, a okay. fortune cookie message type of thing. <laughs> I don't know why, but there's actually quite a few that come out this year that I just didn't want to cover. The kids love them. Then moving on to another company called Entex. I don't know if we've seen them before. I think we have. They make a couple handhelds here, including soccer, hockey, poker, and space battle. And we have Digitcom 9 Baseball by Epic. Try One by Phonus, 3-in-1 Sports by Phonus, and Two-Player Baseball by Sears and Phonus. Uh, so they're making a bunch of stuff there, as well as 4-in-1 Electronic Game by Grandstand. Uh, we have Soccer 2 by VTech, Solitaire by Grandstand, which isn't actually related to the card game. It's just a strange, different type of game. Uh, <laughs> so it's interesting to see that we're getting different names than just... Uh, Bambino and Mattel in here though. Yeah, that's true. And some of them like Grandstand, they make they've made a lot of first gen consoles. So right. not surprised to see them. Um we also have the Star Wars Electronic Laser Battle Battle by Kenner, which I don't think was actually like a digital game, but it was included on some of the lists I saw, so I just put it in there. <laughs> <laughs> um we also have Pro Action Soccer and Baseball and Football by Caprice and Computer Perfection by Lakeside. So um, all these are pretty similar to each other. You know, on-off games, Mattel clones, nothing really worth talking about, but, uh, you know, we'll uh, keep you guys updated on the ones that are worth talking about, for sure, as we come up to them. That'll do it for handhelds for today. Let's move now into computer games. We always got some weird stuff going on here. And we are going to start out with the personal computing issue for June. Uh, there wasn't anything really interesting in April and May, so that's why we're just talking about this now. And the first one that we want to talk about is Robots, which is just a chase game. Pretty simple. And then we have General Game Playing Program, <laughs> which is a great name, which is just a program that improved its AI as it played and allowed a program to play itself or something like that. Uh, it sounds complicated and maybe like not an actual game. <laughs> yeah. And also it had Tic-Tac-Toe and Kala, which were two examples using this game playing program. So somehow it either played itself or it improved the AI of those games in some way. But kind of interesting. Very curious. And that's when the Terminator movies came out. People decided that general game playing program was Skynet. Um, yeah, not really. I have no idea when Terminator came out. <laughs> but moving on now to some more uh, computer games that we have here. We have Shell Games by Bruce Tognazzini, 
Uh, we've seen dates for 80 for this, but it was basically just a cartoon and uh, some math trivia games on it. We don't really have too much info, so we thought we might as well just put it here. Mm -hmm. Then we also have Race Car by John Norris and Apple of San Francisco. Came out in June of 79. Don't have a lot of info for this one. It's some sort of racing game that came out in the Apple II. Then we have another great one, Infinite Number of Monkeys by Apple II, or by Apple Incorporated. This is a program that kind of goes literal on the whole saying that if you put monkeys in a room on typewriters, eventually they'll write the greatest works. And it does just that. It's a program that writes randomly, and it's theorized that if you just let it type for long enough, you know, you'll end up with Moby Dick. Uh, so, <laughs> mm -hmm. again, maybe not really a game, but interesting at least. And then we have Checker King by Personal Software, which played checkers, but it does look like the graphics for the board were actually pretty good, and this was for the Apple II. And that will move us into the first and only one that I rated today, Wilderness Campaign by Robert Clardy and uh, Synergistic Software, which came out in June of 79. And it is the sequel to Dungeon Campaign, which, Wes, you reviewed that last, like, late last year and really enjoyed it. Yes, yeah. So let's talk about the sequel, Wilderness Campaign, because it's kind of, I don't want to say a mixed bag, but, like, it's not what I was expecting. I'll put it that <laughs> way. <laughs> For one thing, the combat is taken from Dungeon Campaign. So you still have this party-based combat system, which is definitely different from most RPGs that we deal with. Um, instead of you just having one character, you have a band of 10 characters. And like, if you, you know, quote unquote, like take damage in the battle, it's more like characters in your party, you're dying. Right. But then at towns, you can recruit new characters uh, for, for gold. And actually in this game, there is a weekly upkeep cost. So... You have to keep that in mind and also keep your soldiers fed. But you can also gain new soldiers and armor and equipment for them just by, like, like sometimes you go to a castle or something in this game and the lord will just give you army people. So it's a little different, but it's definitely this party-based combat system that um, was in Dungeon Campaign and it's very unique. So I like that part a lot. As far as the other parts of this game... It's kind of weird. I don't know if I would say it's an open world, but you're staring at kind of like a world map for the better part of a word uh, of the word. And your party, quote unquote, is just like a blinking square on this big map. And the map always has this giant castle in the top left. It's got mountains. It's got a place that says jungle and swamp and plains. Um, and it's got some decorative trees and stuff on there. And then Every time you start a game, it will randomly spawn towns, ruins, castles, and uh, I forget what the last one was, camps or something. Wow. Um, and those are just randomly placed around the map anywhere. And when you're playing the game, I thought, just looking at it quickly, that you had the world map, and then when you enter a town or something, it would zoom in or, or something. But it doesn't all the interactions with towns and ruins and castles are through pretty much text boxes, mm. which is not what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> um, that being said, the world map looks really cool and gives you this really feeling of exploration. And um, 
the story of the game's actually kind of cool too. Not that not the story maybe, but like the purpose of how you win the game is what I think is really cool. Basically, you have to go into ruins. You find I think an oracle, and then they tell you to go someplace specific on the map. You go there and you find like some sort of special weapon, and using that weapon, you can remove the magical barrier that was preventing you from reaching this giant castle in the top left of the screen. So you go there, you have a really big final fight, and if you win, the castle will actually like have a little animation of it demolishing. Oh, nice. And say like, you know, the evil necromancer has been destroyed or something like that, and you win. So I thought the ending here is pretty cool. <laughs> I definitely enjoyed how the game kind of goes beginning to end. You start out with a band of 10 characters, the Necromancer has, I think, 50-something dudes. So you really have to build that army. And actually, to help with the army, you can also buy pack mules and also just people that carry like equipment for you. Because one of the weird parts of the game, the part of the game I actually didn't like, is that it's actually fairly logistical. It kind of reminded me of Hammurabi oh, no. in that way, which <laughs> is not good. I will say... Amurabi has a lot of um, just negative random events that you can't control, and that's not really in here. I, I didn't think. So, you know, it's it's better than Hammurabi, but, I mean, you have to keep in mind how much equipment, how many dudes you can afford to have on, on your army, how you, you have to keep them fed, and even you can, like, go into ruins and stuff and not be able to carry gold out, because the gold has a weight itself. So, like, a big part of the game was I was reading people play through it and they had to buy these pack mules and stuff just so that they could haul gold back from their adventures, which seems a lot more logistical than I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> and now to keep in mind, all this logistic stuff is through, like, text boxes, like, you know, like a, like a text R RPG. So they're not easy to navigate windows or anything, you know? It's not right. just, like drag it over to the inventory screen like we would do today it's a lot more involved and um if you watch people play through this game like 80 percent of it is in like these text windows it's not the best <laughs> but you know that being said I, th I think the concept behind the game is is still really cool it's got elements of like an infinite kind of dungeon with the places on the map being randomly spawned each new game you still have that final goal. You have the party system combat. And also, I want to say the combat itself, when you get in there, it's not just like who has the bigger number. There's also a experience element. Like the more battles you do, the larger your attack will be, the larger your defense will be. I think it's called personal luck or something like that. Hmm. You can arm each person in your group to increase their attack and defense. So even though you have 10 people, they might have an attack of 22 or something because they are armed. And then you also have a purely RNG-based luck die roll. And the dying rolling has a little animation of it going. And I can just imagine, you know, knowing that it's going to be a close battle and just blowing on that virtual die, hoping that it's a, a good number for you. <laughs> It gives me a lot of feeling of the original like D D if I was playing that in person or something like that. I just think that they do randomness in the in the combat in a really satisfying way somehow. It doesn't feel overly 
bad and you know you can have bad rolls and good rolls but so can your opponent you know so it's kind of anyone's game and um usually if you're like gonna crush your opponent it doesn't really matter what they're gonna roll so it's not like it's uh that swingy but it could provide you with some of those you know really memorable moments of it just going your way once or not going your way once so i quite like the combat honestly the only problem about the game to me is that it's all through text boxes and you go to a ruin or you go to a, a little dungeon or a fort or something it doesn't matter though because it's just like a piece of text pops up and says you have entered a ruin there are 12 ogres do you want to fight or whatever but you don't ever right. get to see the ogre you don't ever get to see how big your army is or what they look like and i don't know it's just not that interesting <laughs> You know, like it's kind of boring to be honest. So I don't yeah. know if I'm just like rating it harshly, but well, I just found the game kind of boring. One thing I got to ask, which is I feel like one of the reasons I loved the gameplay so much of Dungeon Campaign is are there any wandering monsters? No. Yeah. No, there's nothing moving on, on the, the world map. They were just like, squares basically if i remember right yeah. but still the fact that there was like this giant brown serpent that was like going around the map as i was moving that's part of what made it super exciting to me so i can yeah. see how even with a great map it could be a little dull mm -hmm. it's weird because i feel like dungeon camp uh, like the names really live up to themselves like dungeon campaign is like their take on a small solo kind of dungeon experience and they do it great and this is like okay but let's take it back macro to the world scale or something like that you know yeah yeah and that's really cool as well but i needed some zoom ins you know to make it really feel like i'm not playing the whole game looking at the map you know what i mean right it's like a combination of the two would have been just absolutely insanely good but um we're not quite there yet, but it is super interesting and unique for what it is. So props there. But with all that being said, let me get into my ratings for gameplay. You know, like I mentioned, I think it's actually kind of boring. It's one of these games where the concepts are cooler in thought than they are like when you're actually in there playing it. Like I love the party combat system, but it's just not presented in a way that's interesting enough yet this feels like i'm playing like a spreadsheet simulator sometimes <laughs> and uh i don't want that and the logistic part was not good for me <laughs> so for gameplay i gave it a 2.25 out of 10 kind of middle of the road for us for graphics it's hard again because a lot of it is like looking at text boxes and just black and white text but it is on the apple II, the world map as touches of color in pretty much everything it has that classic apple too you know like four or five colors there's the green there's the purple there's a the white and black right um and you do have a couple moments where like the castle has an animation of it falling down and stuff where there is a little bit of animation or, or whatever happening so there's also like i didn't mention this but um there's a help system in the game which is actually quite good like it tells you the legend of the map you can pull that up so you know exactly what everything is super nice that that's in the game there was a huge manual for this game but 
at least that part was in the game. I very much appreciated that. Um, so the actual world map, I think, looks pretty decent. I wish the party icon wasn't a blinking square and was like a, a person, but <laughs> it's okay. Um, after playing this game for a while, you would know what everything is, and I think the world map itself looks quite good. So I give graphics a 1.75 because it's pretty much just like a pretty good looking world map but nothing crazy and the rest of it's like text so <laughs> that part's not as good for sound there is sound in this game it's a lot of weird bleep bloopy stuff and a lot of it is a little harsh on the ears i will say but um it doesn't happen very often so when they do happen you know usually something important has happened so i guess they're good i i mean good enough so i give it a <laughs> one out of ten there And then relevance, I gave an 8 out of 10 because, I mean, I don't know. Can you say this is an open world game, Wes? I don't, I don't know what this signifies that you are playing on a giant world. <laughs> so, I mean, technically. yeah, sort of. And it's got a randomly generated like camps and stuff. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, uh, the tech behind this game and the whole party combat system in general, I love and it's super unique. Like, this guy is the only guy to have ever done this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I don't know if if anybody else is going to pick it up. I mean, we don't play a lot of games that do that nowadays. The closest thing it actually reminded me was of um, Mountain Blade. Because yeah. you're walking around this map. It kind of would be like if Mountain Blade had only auto combat or something. Exactly. Sort, sort of like a... um almost like a total war rts or something if you couldn't do like positioning or i don't know right yeah it's kind of like some sort of strategy game but there's no real combat it's it's just kind of behind the scenes and it's still really good like and that kind of party style of combat i'm a big fan of big fan so i think this game does a lot of like first really well from I mean, the party combat he had in the last game, but the open world aspect of this game and the randomized camps and, and dungeons and stuff, super cool. So, uh, and this is, correct me if I'm wrong, Wes, but in the first game, you couldn't grow your party, right? It was limited. You had like no. 20 or whatever, and it only could go down, right? Yeah, in your first game, it was, that was basically like your timer. See how far you could get before all your people died. Right, and in this game, you can actually recruit party members so this is the first time i've ever seen a mechanic like that you know because yeah to have a mechanic like that you have to have a party combat system first and he's the only guy that's done it <laughs> so recruiting party members now is an as a new part to this game as well so there's a lot of news here and um the whole game in general feels just completely fresh so i love it a lot um for that reason then i bumped up the relevance to, to show that and overall, I just give it a 2 out of 10, because while there's so many things I like about the game, there's also so many things I don't like about the game, <laughs> mainly the logistics and um, the fact that there's no zoomed-in parts. Like, I just think if you could see not even, like, 50 sprites for all your party members, but just a sprite of a party member fighting against a sprite of an ogre it would just make it feel a lot more 
personal than just watching numbers go up and down by themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just missing that kind of personal touch to it. But, um, you know, I could definitely see if you're back in the day in 1979, you could probably make that up in your head. I just don't want to have to. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Oh, that's so, I mean, it's cool. It definitely misses on a lot of things, but it's got me real hopeful for a person who honestly I didn't know anything about before this. Like, I can't wait to see what Robert Clardy does next. If yeah. he's done both Dungeon Campaign and this, we can only hope it's a hybrid of the two. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, I think a hybrid of the two would be perfect, honestly. Yeah. Like some sort of open world, and then you, you go to a ruin, and then you're actually down in the ruin looking for treasure. That would be amazing. And hopefully you don't need to buy pack mules to hope to like figure out if you can take it back. Yeah. The sooner that mechanic makes its way out of here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. But yeah, that was wilderness campaign came out in June, just like all these. But with that, Wes, let's move on. Let's we have a couple more honorable mentions and then we're getting out of here. Yeah. So uh, let's move on now to bite magazine for June. Uh, there was nothing of note really in Byte Magazine for January through May, so we're just talking about them now. And we only have one game that we wanted to mention here. It's the Maze Running Program. Uh, you can make a maze and watch the computer find its way through it. Uh, kind of interesting, but I feel like we've seen things like this before. Mm-hmm. And then next up, we've got Creative Computing for June of 79. They actually came out in this issue with Inspector Clouseau, which we've already talked about. It came out in... <laughs> Um, the May-June issue of recreational computing as well. So I don't think I knew that when I put the, the notes down on today's episode, but um, it must be like like everybody had their, their money in on this game, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's making it was the be big. yeah. <laughs> I would really love to play it. It's a version of Clue, I think. It's kind of hard to tell. We just have like the basic code for it, so I can't really play it. But um, as soon as I can play it, I would love to play a Clue game. I think that'd be fun. Definitely. So we'll have to keep an eye out for next time it pops up. Now we have uh, Cursor Magazine for June. Nothing of note in May here. But the one game that we men- wanted to mention for this issue is a game called Demon with an exclamation point. Uh, I feel like the people who write Cursor Magazine love putting exclamation oh, yeah. points at the end of the games. Um, but this is just a demon heavy quotes on that pops up on the screen and you have to catch it but you could control it with a pair of joysticks i think specifically atari joysticks and it actually had some pretty crazy sound Uh, so i wanted to take a look at this and play it just to see what was going on with the sounds and it's a type of game we've seen before where you kind of have like a lot of barriers on screen a dot pops up on screen you control a different dot and you have to go and catch that dot uh, the theming is that you're trying to, you know, banish a demon one at a time. But the sounds were surprisingly good. Not like um, realistic or like magic or like demon sounds or anything like that. But just a lot of different toned beeps and buzzes. And that sounded a lot better than Pong sounds. And especially coming from a Commodore pet, um, it sounded like an arcade machine. So it was kind of crazy. Mm. The sounds and I, I was very surprised. Uh, unless the emulator that I was playing amped them up a little bit, which is possible. But either way, it's just kind of this weird, uh, simple game that at least had some interesting stuff going on with it. 
Uh, and that same thing kind of goes for the next game that we want to talk about. Uh, this wasn't in Cursor Magazine, but it is another pet game. It is The Post Person's Root by Bill Finzer. And this is one of those puzzles that you probably did in school where you have to draw the barn without overlapping any lines. Except this makes it into a game where you are a postman or post person. I appreciate the gender neutrality in the name there. And you can't, for whatever reason, overlap as you're delivering mail to all these houses. Uh, that's the theming for it. I guess, you know, it would waste company time. Who knows? But basically, there's a bunch of different overlapping and intersecting squares that spawn on the screen. You get to pick what part on any of the squares that you want to make as your start point, And you basically have to figure out your way through without covering all of the houses or places you're supposed to deliver mail without overlapping at all. Uh, it's not random. There's 11 set routes that you can do that increase in difficulty. But it was surprisingly fun. I mean, there's a bunch of different ones that you can uh, figure out. I did one and two easily, jumped to nine, and then lost. <laughs> Maybe should have gone a bit more incrementally. But uh, one of my favorite things about it is that it does a lot of it automatically. You're not moving step by step. It moves you automatically unless you reach an intersection where you have to make a decision of where you want to go next. And the computer is thankfully smart enough that if you reach an intersection where you don't have any choices because you've already gone all the other directions, it'll just automatically take the turn for you. Um, so it ends up being kind of like this oddly satisfying like autoplay thing, especially if you like, you know, made all the right turns and then you have this really long line that has to be executed. But, you know, as soon as you make that last turn, it's just going to autoplay you like all the way to victory. So it's, it's just like this goofy little game. Not much graphics going on, but surprisingly fun. Yeah, definitely. All right. The next one here is Adventure 550, otherwise known as Adventure 3 by David Platt. Now, this is uh, another extended version of the original Colossal Cave Adventure that almost doubled the content and map size. I think it's called Adventure 550 because you can get a 550 points as a high score, I want to say. Oh, okay. Um, you can play this in the browser, but we definitely did not have time to get to the new content considering the old content was hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> but you get just goes to show like how much people really love the original Colossal Cave Adventure to the point where they beat the game. They're like, you know what? Let's double this and do it again. Um, For sure. Kind of crazy. All right, and the last one for today, we have Soft Side Magazine for June of 1979. The main game from this issue, the uh, cover game, is called Atlantic Balloon Crossing, otherwise known as Balloon Race by Dean Powell. And it's a balloon flying game where you have to balance weight and gas in the balloon to fly correctly. And I think you have to... I don't know if you're going across the world or across the ocean or something, but didn't seem that interesting but <laughs> because it's the cover game i think it's definitely worth talking about and it's, you know that it's going to have like a pretty deep set of mechanics even though the concept is a little weird just like what was that uh sailing one you did was around like, the horn yeah. yeah around the horn yeah i was just thinking of that probably pretty similar in the way that it yeah. uh, executed it right but that'll do it for us today, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's 100th episode. I know uh, I did. I hope I hope you did too, Wes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
It's uh, <laughs> crazy we've been doing it for this long, but man, we're enjoying it and we're going to keep doing more. Um, before we sign off, one thing quick. Uh, we, up, we finally spent the money on our website and have a new domain name. Um, so go check that out. And I'm also, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be after Thanksgiving. So I should have like a lot of time during Thanksgiving to update the website. And I plan on doing that. I've already kind of started on it. So definitely go check out the website. And uh, yeah, we, we covered a lot of games today, Wes. I mean, you did Atari Baseball, which wasn't quite as good as basketball, but it was, uh, I would say, probably what adequate for the time, you know? Yeah, adequate. <laughs> like it wasn't and, a bad game either. And I still think probably the best baseball game that we've played. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard. Like, it's got a lot of similarities, I think, you know, to other things we've played. True. So it's it's not like a clear winner you know it's like they're all like kind of up there that's true that's a <laughs> for good point. me um but then uh i did wilderness campaign which was such a unique uh, rpg nothing like it that we've ever done before other than his first game <laughs> so right um yeah a super cool one to check out and we covered a lot of honorable mentions including a lot of handhelds and it's going to set us up for hopefully next episode to close out june of 1979 so almost halfway through the year yeah, it's crazy stuff. Got a lot of great stuff to look forward. So make sure you keep listening to us. Check us out on Twitter where we post announcements about our episodes as they go up. Uh, make sure to send us an email if you have any questions. And as Ben mentioned, uh, we'll have a link to the website in the description for this episode. Make sure to check it out. We got so much more discoverability and an actual easy to type out domain now. So <laughs> mm-hmm. we'll be happy uh, if you guys can visit it and check us out. And with that, We'll see you all next time. See you next time.